Happy Griffin McElroy's birthday. Is it Griffin McElroy's birthday today? It is. The, the sweet, sweet 30 under 30 media luminary good boy's birthday. I feel like I should tweet happy birthday to Griffin McElroy along with like 8,000 other people. To Imagine Me in Utena, a Revolutionary Girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda. I'm your host, and today I have an announcement. The podcast co-host, formerly known as Josh, will now be known as Alice. Please update your Imagine Me in Utena fan fiction and your shipping charts accordingly. The new ship name for Mickey and Alice will be known as Malice. How you doing today? Uh, okay, so you you sprang the ship name on me, so all my all my prepared responses just flew right out the window, um, <laughs> and all I could say is that a properly maintained shipping chart is next to godliness. <laughs> Today we are doing a bit of a bonus episode in honor of this announcement, where Alice is going to talk to us about a topic that is interesting to her and that I know next to nothing about. Alice, were you a philosophy major in college or were you a philosophy minor or was that just an area of interest for you? Um, I was actually a philosophy minor. Um, I, I could, Actually, it's a funny story. I, um, I was an English major and I learned sometime in the beginning of junior year that English majors at my school had to have a minor. No one had told me that. So I had to scramble for, you know, what am I going to do? Um, I had a couple of choices. And, and then I realized that, you know, I already had a class or two in, like, I went to Fancy Baptist College, so we had to do some Christian Studies Department's classes. And I really liked those teachers. They had a really good department, teachers-wise, students, no matter. And so I was like, well, that that's where the philosophy department is. It's literally one teacher. So yeah, and I picked that. And I told everyone that I picked it because um, I wanted to, if I was going to be useless with my English degree, I wanted to go whole hog and be as useless as possible. <laughs> so it was my minor. I did four, I actually did more credits for that minor than I necessarily needed to. I did literally every class that was offered in the entirety of philosophy department which was i stress a single professor it's a small it was a smallish private school and i said that i really majored i minored in metters um who taught all those classes <laughs> and just to contextualize this he was a mild-mannered soft-spoken bald man whose wife preached at a baptist church downtown and who just i had never seen him be anything i've ne still to this day i've never seen him be anything other than smiling and happy to see you in the morning would you like a bit of coffee to which i always said yes or attempted to say yes because it was i would do his class at 7 30 in the morning and was dead so i more groaned in an affirmation <laughs> yeah i didn't know that classes in uni some universities started before 8 a.m that is horrifying beyond well, measure it started at 8 a.m but like ah. i had to get there and like 
it was one of those things where um, sometimes he would start a little bit before because everybody would be there because uh, he was just excited to go. He was always just super eager. That meant I had to really be early. So, and also because I started coming even earlier when I realized that he would give me coffee if I looked tired enough. That is a good um, reason to get to class early. Pretty cool. I know, right? It's a great reason. So why don't you tell me and the listeners what it is that you want to talk about today? Because you sort of just sprung this topic on me uh you were half joking and i did what i do best and ran with that joke and told you that we could actually talk about it and you didn't go into any sort of detail you just said kierkegaard and utana and i'm not super familiar with kierkegaard except that i know that kierkegaard is your philosophy husbando so you want to tell us a little more about what it is that you're talking about yeah absolutely um first before i do i would like to direct your attention as well as our listeners attention to the end of the last arc um the end of the first arc where you know utina has her big crisis and and it's it's about time and i said i, I touched i said would say touch briefly but I, we spent like 10 minutes overall on it this idea that like Anime has a weird fascination with existentialism Mm -hmm. and like it's across the board. You find bits and pieces of things which are familiar in the West as existential thinking from everything from like even in the most brain dead shonen action animes, you find things, little snippets. It's just it is literally all over the place. And Utsun is the one that does it the most of the ones of the anime that I've encountered in a in a in a sort of a, a focused and way that specifically reminded me of Kierkegaard. Um Kierkegaard is is it really is my favorite um for a lot of reasons. Um personally because in dark times in college um two of his books which i'm actually gonna be talking about today really kind of helped me out and in a larger sense because kierkegaard is probably the most fun philosopher i've ever read because he was just a weird guy he's just a weird guy with who who honestly believed that he had to save the world Hmm. or as we are familiar with saying it revolutionize it There you go. Before I get into specifically, I'd like to talk a little bit about him, just a little bit of backstory, a little bit of background here. Kierkegaard was born in 1813 in Copenhagen, Kingdom of Denmark. He almost never left his town. He lived his entire life, except for like a month or two he spent in Berlin in Copenhagen. His family was rich, but they were not happy, mostly because apparently there was this sort of like, they they did not have great genetics, and they just kept dying all the time. Hmm. Like, he had like six or seven siblings, and by the time he had, gra- like my age, at 25, he only had one of them. Hmm. Um, yeah, like, which, as you can imagine, like, had a bit of an effect on him. Yeah. The only, in fact, the only picture we have of him is a sketch that's not done it's a half-finished sketch by his brother i'm sorry not his brother his cousin is that what you have as your profile picture on facebook yeah that's it except that it says it's except that's a meme it's it's been made into a meme yeah niels christian Kierkegaard drew that in 1842 i mean 1840 um when he was about like in his late 20s um and he is surprisingly handsome for someone who basically spent his entire life in coffee shops he has a lot of things he's concerned about um but we usually know him as the father sort of the grandfather 
father or the father of what's called existentialism. He didn't know that term. It didn't exist when he when he was alive. But the big existentialists who were French, like mainly Sartre, Jean-Paul Sartre and Albert Camus, kind of more or less, sometimes obviously and sometimes less obviously, stole everything he did, cut out the parts they didn't like and, and presented it as being novel and new. And they totally got away with it. They're still totally getting away with it. Seems to be pretty common back in the day. Yeah, actually, it really is. If you could sum up all of Kierkegaard in a single idea, and and which is a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway, <laughs> it is how do we live in light of the fact, how do we live authentically and well in light of the fact that A, the universe sucks, B, people die, and C, none of us have any idea what the hell we are or what we're doing. He talks a lot about, you know, like the what we can know and what we're, we can't know. Talks a lot about irony, about like how far, like how far the systems that we create to sort of categorize ourselves and other people, like how far do they really go before they break down? He will usually say they don't even start before they break down, but so it goes. <laughs> Kierkegaard is also interesting because unlike the vast majority of those who would follow him and more or less steal off of his sheet off his test, Kierkegaard was a Christian, but a strange one. His greatest enemy of his whole life was the Danish church. Really? Oh, yes. In fact, he died madly scribbling at more writings he waited until he was like 39 or so, waited until his father and his father's best friend, who was a bishop, had died because he loved both of them and didn't want his attack to be taken personally by them. As soon as they had died, he started releasing writing at a lightning fast pace and didn't finish it before he died of, I believe, a spinal disease, but like lightning fast. The thing he hated most in the world was people who were smug, thinking they had gotten everything figured out in the whole world. That's relatable. Yeah, it's there. The more you read about him, the greater it gets. Like the fact that like he got like four books out of getting cold feet out of a um engagement. What, really? Yes, Kierkegaard was was the original sad boy. <laughs> he had issues, like legitimately had issues. He's the most depressed person I've ever read, and he was engaged to a lovely young woman named Regina. But he was incredibly insecure, and so even though he had won her heart fair and square, like. You know, he had had some competition there. She had had, she could pick between him and someone who was really, who's also rich and a lot more, you know, kind of conventional. Mm-hmm. And she picked him. And like everybody was surprised because Kierkegaard was kind of a playboy at that stage in his life. He was young. Mm-hmm. And he realized A, I suck. And she's going to get stuck with me. B, what happens if like we get married and in five years we don't love each other anymore? And like he got down that road and broke it off with her with lots of apologies. And then basically went and hid in his, his house for a couple of years and wrote a bunch of books. Okay. Yeah, it is like the more you read about it, the sadder it is. Like he basically had a, a breakdown over it and, oh. and, and, and ran away. Um, yeah, it's, uh, he's, a, he's the original sad boy. So what, you might ask, does he have to do with Utena? That's what I want to know. There are a couple of things. But the biggest thing is, let's talk about what Utena is doing when she puts on her awesome uniform and says that she is a prince. Okay. There is a... um, I'm going to be mostly focusing on two books, Mm -hmm. which are The Sickness Unto Death and The Concept of Anxiety. And I might touch a little bit on a third book called um, Either Or 
which is his first big one. Okay. But um, let me find this quote so I can do it perfectly because it is incredibly important and we will come back to it several times from now. Okay, two things. Here are two quotes from Sickness Unto Death, 1849. Someone in despair despairs over something. So, for a moment, it seems, but only for a moment. The same instant, the true despair shows itself, or despair in its true guise. And despairing over something, he was really despairing over himself. And he now wants to be rid of himself. Hmm. The second that I give you is, thus, when the ambitious man whose slogan was either Caesar or nothing, does not become Caesar, he is in despair over it. But this signifies something else, namely that he did precisely because he did not become Caesar, he cannot bear to be himself. Consequently, he is not in despair over the fact that he did not become Caesar, but he is in despair over himself for the fact that he did not become Caesar. These two mean, and if I give you a kind of a TLDR because he's getting a little convoluted in this book, is, as well as the fact that it's originally in Danish, people aren't in despair over what happens to them, Kierkegaard says, but in who they are, which is kind of simplistic, but keep that in mind. Utsna in the end of the first arc has like a blue screen of death. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's literally what TV yeah, tropes no, calls it. I know, like, I know what you mean. I just, you know, which is like fine. one of my favorite TV tropes things is heroic blue screen of death. And it fits. It fits really well. She just like shuts down. It is a textbook example. Yeah. And we are tempted in that moment to say that she's in despair over, or she is sad about, or she is like given up over Anthony. And I got the germ of this idea when I realized that even the episode, while focusing a lot on Anthony, does something underneath that that's more significant. Anthony comes into the picture, but not like, but the whole like thinking about Anthony and all of that does not come into the picture till later. We just have it kind of like implicit in what she's doing at first. Yeah. What we have first is, remember what the first big thing that happens in that episode that shocks everybody? That she wears the dress. She wears a dress. That she doesn't wear what she usually wears. That she has said, I will be a prince or nothing, and shows up and is nothing. And that's in fact what she becomes. She has become nothing. She cannot bear to be herself. She has, to her mind, failed in this in this in this enterprise of being a prince, and that has been too much. She is she cannot handle it. This sort of this ability to see beyond what is to what may be is the real problem. Kierkegaard in the Sickness Unto Death talks about at length is despair an excellence or a defect? Like, is it a good thing or a bad thing? And he says it's kind of both. A bug or a feature. Yeah, actually. Like, on one hand, it sucks. Like, it's the worst thing that can happen to us. But if we th- we step back from the feeling and think about it, he says that if only the abstract idea of despair is just considered without any thought of someone in despair, like specifically, it must be regarded as surpassing excellence because... We can only get we can only be that sad and that despondent if we were able to imagine something better in the first place. Hmm. Now, if we look at Yutsna all on the way, we very much have from literally the very beginning of episode one a sort of either X or nothing approach. Utsna has an ambition of sorts. It is a strange ambition, yes. And we're told by the oh, what's their names? The puppets. Uh Aiko and Biko. Echo and Biko, thank you. That may not be a great idea, but she says, I will be a prince or I'll be nothing. Not exactly like that, but kind of almost. Like, I am. This is decidedly what I am. And she doesn't listen to anything else anyone might say. Like, but you're a girl, and that wouldn't, wouldn't that make you a princess? No, I'm a prince. 
like they people's people's assumptions that they put onto her just slide off she doesn't so much like negate them as they just don't stick she can just ignore them this this strength of character this infinite erectness of sublimity or sublimity that is the spirit as Kierkegaard would say is so strong that it can just keep this idea safe against all other things now, when we, we eventually see that break down, and we see it break down over time, and occasionally in big gulps, like with the end of the first arc, and yet she recovers, you'll say. But the damage has been done. Um, the damage has been done in that no longer is it impossible to think of Utsuna as giving up on this aesthetic, this, this idea that she has. In The Sickness Unto Death, we have his solution to it is, is a dialectical solution, which means that he sees us as a thesis, what is as a thesis, what may be as antithesis, and these things come together and they fight together and despair is this, this conflict, and eventually, hopefully, they kind of become something else. And to him, that is what he talks about as being faith this idea that even though we can't know the future even though we we fail even though we are not that self which we wish to be we to put it really simplistically and and mildly amusingly we say fuck it and we just do things anyway like we do what is called a leap of faith we decide that we can't sit here and figure out all the numbers and then do things. We have to just, we have to take risks. We have to do things because they're worth doing and, and live in a way that's worth living, not because it's utilitarianly we've done the math, but because it's it's just what you need to do. And that's kind of, that is in a lot of ways, Untadar. Like, what is logical about being a prince, you know? Not much, um, really. Not, yeah. not from the standpoint of a person that is not uh, natural-born nobility, so to speak. Exactly. Like, there are lots of different avenues here that where this doesn't make any logical sense. What Kierkegaard called the ethical, this, this sort of like everything in its proper place and everything makes sense. And that attitude finds her ludicrous. His Alternatively, he has the aesthetic, this sort of like love and art and feeling and emotion L would love the young man from either or who's that whole thing but he would give up if he were her because it's like you know it's not easy ever nobody really accepts this they're willing to like utana but they're not willing to really accept a hundred percent what utana is and does and says Instead, we have Utana as a decent example of what Kierkegaard calls the night of infinite resignation, where, uh, where the aesthetic realm says, you know, this is great, but I'm going to give up because when it's not fun anymore or when I'm too sad to continue. And the ethical will say this is ridiculous because it's impossible, therefore I'm not going to do it. The night of infinite resignation is infinitely resigned to the fact that what she does is is never going to make sense, not entirely. But she's going to do it anyway because it's right or because it's important or because, as Kierkegaard says in one of his journals, I must find the truth that is true for me. They sort of talk about that in the episode with uh, Wakaba telling Utena that, like, this is, this is not normal for you. Exactly. It's almost, like, word for word, even. It's so close that it just floored me in that episode because that is that is the idea that that she is working even though like it, we 
and and this is something you have to do with Kierkegaard. You have to be able to understand him both a secular and a more full religious light. And in her own way, she is the Knight of Infinite Resignation or the Knight of Faith, who Kierkegaard sees as a person. And he says kind of like snidely, but also sadly, I've never met one. This would be the perfect person, but I've, you know, I'm not one. <laughs> that can marry these two sides, the aesthetic that's emotion and heart and passion and feeling, and this is good and this is perfect and this is beautiful, these these ideas we have with the ethical, the the calculating, the the law and order and and like respect for for community and sort of this grown up fuddy buddy, like these two characters of of the young man who's the college student art artist dropout and the old judge from either or and and marry them together in a single person who knows that this is good, but also that it's dumb, who knows that this is the right thing and it's true for me, but also that it's ridiculous and I'm, and I'm going to fail and is able to hold both of these ideas and do it anyway. Hmm, interesting. And I don't know, to me, that's, I mean, besides the fact that to me, the idea is, and I love the idea of, of the night of, of faith, the night of infinite um, resonation. I like that. Well, I'm pretty sure it's not intentional, but I like that Utina fits that so well and does it without being that sort of like over the top Byronic hero or over the top whatever or any of the stuff because she's just Utina. No? Yeah, that's just who she is. She's not really, even though she's aspiring to be something, she's not really putting on. It, it, it's not something that she's it's not like an affectation it's just who she is um and i believe it's i believe it's in fear and trembling it might be in repetition where Kiergaard is is kind of making that aside about the night of faith and the night of infinite resignation how he's never really met one and then he stops and he has this moment where he because he's like you know now that i think about it if I were to encounter this person, I probably wouldn't recognize it because they that person would be able to survive in this world without being blown over by the by despair and without being constantly destroyed by anxiety. They would appear normal. Yeah. And unlike us, those of us, they would appear to be all together. And unlike us, and he means us as in himself too, <laughs> he that person would not be faking it that person would be authentic and being okay and not being perfect but being okay being an authentic human being and that's like that's what utana is she is authentic she is herself we're asked in the beginning is it such a good idea for her to be a prince and at first you're thinking you know you can understand that as being them coming on the fact that she's a girl and it probably was intended but i also think that you can interpret that as sort of this doubt about you know who knows what you can do? And Utna just is authentically that. Like this sort of questioning, the Echo Biko kind of question, is this really her? Is this authentic? Or is it just, you know, putting on airs? And she's not putting on airs. She's authentically a prince, whether others believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, she is. And they also don't really recognize her for what she is, although they think she's abnormal rather than normal. Which, again, fits pretty perfectly. Kierkegaard loves people, but doesn't like crowds. <laughs> he says a lot of things, and then come down to the idea that, you know, in the end, you can never rely on crowds to decide who you are. 
only you can identify yourself. Only you can say, I am X. Only you can say who you are because the crowd is wrong. The crowd is the sort of this this faceless pressure that turns people into sort of automata is, is what he hated so much. And his solution was not so much to, to go out there signs waving, though he wouldn't necessarily say not to. But his solution is to is being yourself, is being understanding yourself and living in that living in that mode. Or as the brothers McElroy would say, living your truth. <laughs> One day I will find out where that comes from. Probably I'm sure it's in the mid crazy little hive mind brains but yeah um Utena as sort of both as a example of Kierkegaardian despair and as the knight of faith slash infinite resonation is is, it it works pretty well and there are a lot I can I can do this kind of thing with a lot of anime um some easier than others but Utena is probably the one that seems like it is the clearest cut and the one that probably one only one of two that I've ever stopped and said I'm pretty sure this is intentional the other of course literally being named after a Kierkegaard book so it was definitely intentional so I don't know that was that was really interesting to me I hope that you um hope that our listeners can I get a little bit out of that? As always, I can, I, you know, anything, any questions that people have, I can, I'd be happy to talk about, I would, even in 140 characters. And Wikipedia is surprisingly helpful. You can get a lot of information because everyone who likes Kierkegaard writes too, way too much about him. So there's just a <laughs> wealth of shit on like, oh my God, just like, not only is there a long, long ass page just for him on Wikipedia, but there's like pages for individual like ideas, like the night of faith ideas, a good through four or five pages. Jeez. And it's literally just a exegesis from all the places that he wrote about it in. And like, it is like, it quotes, I think about at least a, two or three book, solid pages of, of text from um, actual works. Like these are really good articles. Just saying like, go read Wikipedia cause it's great, but also go read the, the all the pages having to do with Wikipedia are amazingly well done and, and way too much. So those are worth it. Um, yeah, we got a uh, we got a message on our Tumblr from uh, Tumblr user TofuBot78, and they sent me a link to a like a little bit of a an essay, I guess, that they put on that they wrote on Tumblr about Revolutionary Girl Utena on feminism projections and gender archetypes that I think that you would really enjoy, but that you can't read yet because you haven't finished the series and it has spoilers like throughout the whole thing but it was really good definitely have to it was really good and i just checked to see if they uh brought up anything about kierkegaard in their thing and they did not so this is an an extra an added philosophical dimension to utina as we understand it i think their thing was on jungian feminism which is not something that i knew about until reading it you get jung is is one of those i mean he's a psychologist guy Mm -hmm. um psychologists are sort of not 100 on him but lit guys and um philosophy people fucking love you he is delightful (laughs) that makes sense he may suck at his actual job but everyone else likes him sometimes you think you're doing one thing and you end up doing something else how it rolls yeah but yeah that was all really interesting and not stuff that i had heard of before uh i do what i can 
I hope that our listeners liked uh, hearing you get to nerd out about your philosophy, Husbando. It is something that I enjoy doing and that, that I will probably do again over and over again. I certainly feel like you would have enough here to substantiate a term paper. Yeah, like, uh, I mean, I joke about being able to write so and so many pages about things, but I could legitimately write a long-ass paper on, on anime and Kierkegaard specifically. I wouldn't even have to go into anyone else. Just because, partially, A, because he really is universal. Everybody, like, anxiety is part of being human. Yeah. Despair is kind of part of being human. And that's a lot of what he writes about. And also because anime is, like, super fucking existential. I don't know why. Well, there's got to be something anime. going on there. Like, there, like some of it's more dark than others. But every time that, like, this hero in a dumb shonen anime says something about, like, some kind of variation of, you know, my truth is X, it's a little existential. Yeah, I mean... It's that kind of level of thing. It's the small things that, like, that are so similar that you're not sure if that's intentional or not, and it's just weird. But, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot to write about. There, there's a there's a lot to to look at and discuss in not just anime, but in, in a lot of our popular entertainment. That you know, there's there's a lot there. I mean, I wrote a lot on in school. Um, most of my writing was on Lovecraft and, and Tolkien. So uh, take it from me, you could get a lot. That that's very on brand for you. Yeah, it really is. All right. Well, do you have anything else? Um, no, I think we're good. All right. Well, I guess that wraps us up for this week's episode if you want to follow us on twitter you can do that at utenacast if you want to follow me on twitter you can do that at mpandanata alice where can they find you on twitter you can find me um at Lyrewolf, which is l-y-r-e-w-u-o-f uh, my name at the moment is alice wolf unchained um, <laughs> yeah i saw that i just yeah which it just amused me um i changed names a lot but my tag doesn't change so there you go if you want to follow us on Tumblr, you can do that at imagineandusna.tumblr.com. If you want to email us, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can do that at imagineandusna at gmail.com. And we also have a Patreon if you feel like giving us some money. But if you don't, that's totally cool. We totally understand. And the show will continue to be free whether or not you give any money. Uh, I guess that wraps us up for today. Revolutionize the world, everybody. Good luck out there.